What's up, everybody? It's your old friend, John Middlecoff. I'm here to tell you about our friends at Game Time. Here's what I need you to do. Go to your smartphone, download a little app called Game Time. Baseball season's in full swing. Oracle Park. Been there a million times. Never doesn't live up to the hype. Go get yourself some garlic fries, a brewski, maybe uh, some ice cream. They have very good Ghirardelli ice cream there. And when you do that, promo code HAM. So download the Game Time app. Your first pair of tickets, promo code HAM, H-A-M, save $20. The A's, only going to be in the Bay Area for the rest of this season. You probably can basically go for free. Just buy a pair of tickets to any baseball game. They also have comedy shows if you want to check one of those out, or concerts. Game Time app, promo code HAM, save yourself $20. We don't even need to thank you. Just hammer that promo code. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Middle Hey, B. Hey, A lot coming up on the uh, podcast today, John. Big topics of the day. Teams that are set up for success in the NFL, like the 49ers. The, um, oh, you found this great thing we're going to talk about. The odds for the uh, number one pick next year in the NFL draft. That's more exciting than talking about who's going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. It, there's a balance as, a, uh, as someone that needs angles and content to try to avoid Twitter for just the misery and people complaining about shit like, oh my God, how do you do this every day? And finding sweet little nuggets because they are there to be found. Yeah. So you got to go on to the right time and just go with, I'm going to scroll through really fast on anything I don't want to read, but anything that I do read, keep in the back of my uh, my head or forward to you or email to myself that I will want to use as a topic. Yes. So we got we got one of the, a good one today. Um, Major League Baseball, we both love baseball and they've got a plan for a restart. And uh, Last Dance and the movie Extraction, which probably all of America has watched by the time you watch this podcast. So we'll get into all of that. Before we do that, John, some love to a couple uh, local companies, friends of the uh, podcast, Evergood Sausages and Kinders. Yep, my friends at Evergood have uh, been going, our, our friends at Evergood, been going for 90 plus years. You can find them all over the place, Costco, Safeway, anywhere you go shop, been in business for 90 plus years. I like the pineapple sausage again, support local. There you go. Um, and friends of Kinders, they, they go all over the place, been in business since 1946. A uh, bunch of shops that barbecue, chicken sandwiches, steak sandwiches, you name it. They're bomb. Go check it out. Yeah. I love our friends of Kinders as well. And uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't checked out our YouTube uh, videos on the Raiders and Niners schedules, go do that. We'll do another one Monday as well on um, maybe the Seahawks schedule. But did, a, did a deep dive on the Niners, also that tough little part of the schedule, mm-hmm. the five-game stretch mm-hmm. from the Rams, Patriots, Seattle, Green Bay, the Saints, I think. Yeah, Is that I'm, the order? Yeah, I'm surprised that Breer or Peter King didn't write about that in their MMQB, that stretch. Don't worry, we're on it. 
And uh, the video's blowing up. Go check it out. Yeah. All right. And if you're watching on YouTube, uh, uh, the link to our podcast is down in the description. Yeah, check it out. So um, one thing Breer wrote about, your boy uh, Sean McDermott talked to him for a while about the Bills. Did you see, by the way, somebody tweeted out a map of uh, um, every state's favorite team? It was like a map of the United States, and it just by hashtags. It was it was the dumbest fucking thing I've ever and seen. And the Bills the Texans were in Texas. The Texans were in Texas, right? Yeah. And the Bills, which we don't believe because uh, Dallas Cowboys, and the Bills dominated like seven different as if as if Bills fans had just immigrated across the country, spreading the gospel. Uh, oh, like it was ba- it was based on hashtags. Me. I think it was based on hashtags, wasn't it? I I don't know. I just saw the thing, and it's one of those that. I immediately said, this is some inter doing this, kind of like the picture, did you see, to win $10 million, if you have to hit seven straight threes, it was like Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, Steph Curry, and Devin Booker. I almost threw up in my mouth. It's like some of these, and I get it, what do you think, for $18 million, if you had to have one person tackle someone, and then it's just Ray Lewis, Nitsky, and Butkus, it's like people just desperate for interaction on social, like, this is stupid. What are we doing? No, the, the, they will never shoot 10 free, free throws or threes for $10 million. Stop doing these hypotheticals to get your retweets, even though I retweeted it. Yeah, yeah. But you retweeted I refused, you I refused to retweet that, uh, the map, though. But you retweeted Devin Booker Texas, because you thought it was dumb, not because you thought you were engaged. And, and somebody had a meeting, right, like a Zoom, like... You know, uh, on the Devin Booker, uh, we got uh, 7 million engagements, uh, 13,000 retweets per minute, 4,000 replies, very successful. In turn, Logan, good job. Like, people, one thing that this has revealed is the um, total inability to adapt in uh, times of lesser content. But whatever, not our problem. Yeah, not a problem. Okay, so teams that have advantages, and I, it's interesting because for people who haven't read the Breer, it's it's he's talking to uh, the Bills, and did I call him Sean McDonough earlier? You call him Sean McDermott. Oh, okay. what, at least what I heard. Okay, well, if I had McDonough in my head, <laughs> but uh, he talked to McDermott about just the continuity of the team and leadership and all that, and I actually saw uh, somebody say recently that in college football they think. It's not going to be the teams with returning starters that'll have the advantage. It's the teams with great culture, right? Which is interesting because you would say, well, like Alabama's a bad example because Mac Jones played last year. But teams that lost a lot but have like an established culture and team were on the West Coast. Kyle Whittingham. Utah's a fascinating example because they had seven players drafted, which was actually fifth most in the country. So they lose a ton, lose like their whole defense, have need a new quarterback, new star running back, but they've got an established culture of almost 20 years. So, But haven't take, they had a lot of guys drafted the last several well, years? Yeah, they, like they, they have, but this is like an incredible, like their whole defense is basically yeah. drafted. But they've got an established culture. And, and lost, their star run, lost their star running back. Right. So is a team like that going to have some advantages because of their culture that other teams that maybe have more starters, whatever? I, 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 I would, for the college example, I'm 100% in agreement. Like there's a region reason Whittingham, who's like the lower version of a Saban, right? He's not winning national championships, but everyone would view him probably as like a top 10 college coach and just 
a guy that's built a program who went through a transition from a non-Power 5 to a Power 5, like, and this speaks to like the Patriot guys. Why I think they're comfortable with Jared Stidham is like he's seen what they're about. He knows what the expectations are. That whenever they hit the ground, he knows where they expect you to be at. And one thing I was fascinated by Sean McDermott, and I, I would imagine a lot of coaches do this, He's like, we got a lot of guys on our staff. And I saw Ryan Wendell, former Bulldog. Yeah. Uh, Chad Hall, who when I was in Philly was on the Eagles. Uh, the, I would imagine a decent Matt amount Stafford's of Matt Stafford's brother-in-law, right? Yeah, Matt Stafford's brother-in-law. That have, you know, anywhere between two to five former players, right, that are our age range. You know, I'd say 32 to 38, somewhere in that range, that have got into coaching post-playing career. And were a part of that lockout, right? Yeah. Either as practice squad guys, rotational guys. Wes Welker would probably be like the high end of that, right? Right. And they just go, Coach, this is what I thought. This is what I went through. And I was like, I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> That's actually really fucking smart. Because I was thinking, you got D'Amico Ryan on the Niners. You would have Wes Welker on the Niners. And I, I would imagine every single staff in America, Maybe not every single staff in the NFL, but I'd probably lean about 80% would have a guy or two that was playing in 2011, right? I would imagine a lot of college staffs now, like Antonio Pierce, like you just went around. A lot of guys get out and they go into coaching. The great part is when you're a former NFL player, you know, you don't have to do middle cough route. You just kind of, boom, hit the ground running. Boom, you're a linebacker coach. Boom, you're a wide receiver coach. But... Wouldn't you imagine that you talking to those guys that then went into coaching, they're going to be maybe a little higher level football is their life type guy? Like football meant a lot to them. They've now dedicated like their second profession. Mm-hmm. Like they ended their playing career and then went into coaching. Like some guys are going to go into other aspects of life. How do you keep them super motivated? It's easy to be motivated. Like we do a podcast or start doing YouTube shows. We're doing that for ourselves. Like there has to be, and you don't start off making, you know, a hundred grand or 500 grand or whatever you were making in previously. Like if you host a TV show or if you host a radio show, it's easy. Like, well, they're paying me. I got to go in. This is kind of, we control this. Right. But if you have the right motivation. We have to be inspired. And slash disciplined to be consistent with it and and do it and kind of see the bigger picture. You could say four or five years ago when we started the podcast, like there was, there had to be a bigger picture thinking because right away you weren't going to be making what we made last year, but we did it. We got through it and you kind of, now luckily like a player, they experienced it. So it's easier for them to verbalize. I think it's going to be difficult for the Niners, for example, like Sherman, uh, Fred Warner, even Bosa because the Bosa brothers, the family, I would say you're going to feel very comfortable with the majority of guys on your roster. Trent Williams has been staying in shape. He hasn't even been playing. McGlinchey, you don't ever worry about. Kittle, Juszczyk, last guys in the world I'm worried about. Debo, I don't know personally enough about. They would have an idea, like, do we got to stay on them or do we not? Where they are unique is how many teams that are going to be expected to be like a Super Bowl contender have multiple first-round picks. Whenever you have a first-round pick and he's not a quarterback, you go, immediate starter, right? That guy's expected to just be a starter. Like Bosa was last year, like McGlinchey, you just starter. Like for the Raiders guys, Cleveland Farrell, Josh Jacobs, Abram, they're just starters. So how do you – you don't really know the guy, even though in theory you've done all this work, right? Getting to know IU, getting to know Kinlaw, 
you haven't really been around him every day. So how do you stay on him? That that those would be the those would be the two guys for the Niners and really any NFL team. Most teams just have the one first rounder. Some teams this year have two. But like the Jaguars are gonna suck, so it doesn't necessarily matter. Like if you're the Niners, like you are depending on Kinlaw being ready to roll whenever you start, right? Yeah. So three things. One, the I would say to directly to that, the the positive is you're not you're asking a lot of Kinlaw. You're not asking him luckily he has Bosa and he has Armstead and he's got, you know, in theory these other guys that maybe didn't play the whole year like DJ Jones back. You're asking a lot of them, but you're not quite asking him to be Nick Bosa, right? Like you were asking Nick Bosa to be. It turned out last year. Is that fair? But, or do you but, but think you're you are ta- asking him I, I think much? are you talking? You're talking more like when games start, he's not as dependent on, but he's still dependent on to be there and be starting. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I just mean you're not asking. You don't if you he don't need ten not, sacks out of him. Yeah, yeah. And and I would say the same for Ayuk. Like you're asking a lot of them. You need them. He doesn't have to be your best receiver right away. Like he can't. Both those guys can kind of ease into being a pro. Once it all starts, or at least you can get away with that. Even though you are, again, there's a fine line because you are asking a lot. But my thing is, my thing is though, I'm talking about May, June, July, and then whenever training camp start, just being ready where they wouldn't even have the choice because every day you, if you're Ayuk, you're just working out next to Kittle, Juice, and Debo, right? Right. Or you're Kinlaw, you're just getting your lift in with Bosa and Armstead. And then you're repping on the field where even if you're just... I can't imagine being an NFL rookie. There's, it's probably a little intimidating that first couple weeks, even at OTH. You're like, fuck, this is a lot going on here. But you just, we're all humans. You just kind of, you just kind of adapt your surroundings and you just kind of follow the leader. You don't expect your rookies to be leaders, really, but you just expect them to follow. You don't really have the opportunity right now. Right. Uh, you, know, you could call, like, hey, we'll give you, if you're Kinlock, here's Armstead's number be in touch with them but really you don't you don't know them right because the one thing you'd say with OTAs you like force people to know each other right you're just all there you just start meeting other guys and you guys, just, do you guys still bunk together uh well the rookies do because they stay in hotels yeah so you put them in you, you know like all but of a sudden Kinlaw really, yeah. but, but you still, can't you start developing Kinlaw relationships with. with your own rookies you kind of start talking none of that like Kinlaw's in South Carolina Ayuk I don't know where is Ayuk from uh, I know he question. went to junior college sure. in SAC. I don't know where he went to high school, but where, wherever he's at, you know, it's just there's just some uncertainty with these guys not being around the team. He went to high school in Reno. I didn't know that. Where, you on his wiki? Yeah. Where is he born? Uh, Rockland, which is Sacramento so area. A, a Sacramento guy. Yeah. That little area. Maybe his parents moved there for taxes. Don't blame him. Uh, the other thing with Bo- like Bosa did take a year, not a year off, but he left Ohio State and had to. That was, to your point of like just preparing yourself for the bigger picture. Not that we're worried about Bosa, but that's just an interesting side note. Um, he'd been hurt. That, he'd been hurt though. Yeah, right? yeah. No, no, no. I'm just saying like he was a guy who had to do it himself, preparing for the bigger picture. wasn't part of a team at that point in time in terms of like working towards a goal with a team, trying to win a national championship. Um, sneaky other member of the 49ers coaching staff that was a player, Miles Austin. Fuck. You're saying that, that I, I forgot Miles Austin was on the team. Um, you're, you're right. I, you could put Bosa, given his family, given what he went through last year to stay ready, 
right up with the veteran guys, even though he's only been in one year, because he proved like God. And, and think about last year too, when he kept when he got hurt in OTAs and then training camp. You're like, oh, this is going to be a long year, and it's mm-hmm. like season one, week one. It's like Khalil Mack, the white version, is here, right? Like Jesus Christ. Yeah. So yeah. I, it's, yeah, I don't, and, I don't then, think how you worry about him. And then the other thing they have again to their advantage, and if you watch, we'll talk about some parts of the Last Dance. But the way the way Jordan felt after losing to the Orlando Magic uh, when he returned midway through the season from baseball, I I think, and I've been saying this, I think one thing the Niners have you don't get this all the time. If you lose three straight Super Bowls, it doesn't necessarily work like this. But just kind of this unique thing of being confident enough based on where they were last year at the end of the year that they can win the Super Bowl, but maybe with the hunger of a team that just lost the Super Bowl. And so bringing a lot of players back from a team that experienced that, maybe that helps you at a time when you're wondering, are our players locked in? Are they motivated? Are they improving every day? Are they gaining weight? Or are they adhering to the schedules we give them? Um, I, think that, I, I do think that works to the Niners' advantage. I know that gets thrown out a lot. And you think about it, a lot of the teams the Patriots wiped out, right? You went, or I guess Carolina fell apart after. Yeah. Atlanta kind of fell apart after. And the Rams just went 9-7. and seven. I wouldn't say they fell apart, but they definitely didn't live up to what they had been. I, I don't look at the Niners like the Falcons because I view Kyle as much better than Dan Quinn. And Dan Quinn obviously lost Steve Sarkeesian. And when you think about it, they did make the playoffs the next year and won a playoff game. Like, I actually think if the Niners get back to the playoffs and win a playoff game, what we've seen out of Belichick and Brady the last 20 years, that is kind of an outlier. To me, If you when you look sometimes, do you notice whenever you see, like, uh, some old football stuff about, like, Walsh and the Niners, you realize they got beat a lot in the playoffs, you know? And I... I think Rosillo has kind of a theory, and he's right. You're actually better off being like a one-and-done in the playoffs than consistently going to the NBA Finals or to the Super Bowl and losing, like in the way social media talks about you, even oh. though like Brady's proven that if you go to the Super Bowl all the time and lose, like if the Niners went to the Super Bowl again and lost, it would suck. But I think they would also get a lot of credit. They went to back-to-back Super Bowls and lost. Like how many teams have been back-to-back Super Bowls? To me, you just get totally crushed when you just miss the playoffs, right? Yeah. Now, the Niners would be viewed if they missed the playoffs this year, to me, as a little bit of a one-off. Like, well, they've been shitty for two years, then they had the one excellent season, and they missed it again. Because at the end of the day, people kind of shit on the Rams, and I, including myself. I, guy, I think you have to make this playoffs this year with seven games. Seven teams. For, or else it's like, uh Yeah, I'm just saying, I, I don't know, I... I, I would disagree a little on what it would I, – I have to know what it would look like for the Niners. They were so good last year. What is it – do they miss the playoffs because Jimmy – we have this conversation every year. Would they miss the playoffs because Jimmy gets hurt? Like, then they're not viewed as a one-off, right? Are they just bad? I, yeah. I mean, like, if they have the year the no Rams had last year, bad. if they're 9-7, I, I don't know. I think a lot of it depends – like, it wasn't just that the Rams went 9-7, and seven, right? It was that – people watch golf after the Super Bowl where you thought, did did golf just get exposed in the Super Bowl? And then you come back the next year and you're just not the same I, team. I, I actually think the guy that got the most shit for them, and this is why I think the, the Niners are more Super Bowl recession-proof, not that they're going to make it back to the Super Bowl, but that I just think they're going to be good, is I think McVay started to get viewed as like, God, he doesn't really have any other pitches. And then you start realizing, and I'm critical of him, he's such a young coach. He hasn't been calling plays that long. 
Like, he's still trying to develop pitches. Like, Kyle has spent a decade developing all this shit. What works off this play? What works off this play? And you could argue it's really like two and a half decades because he's been sitting with his fucking dad talking about it all, right? And then he was with Kubiak. Like, the conversations were just different than McVay. He's just a higher-level play caller. And that's, to me, where the Niners have that I, I, I just I, I can't see it. I mean, I, honestly, I, I can't see it. Because I honestly, I think they could win games with Nick Mullins. Now, more likely if they had to win like six or seven, go, go through a stretch like the Saints did last year, you know, they could just hold it above water because I think Kyle's that great. By the way, but you, I still think Sean McVay's going to be the coach of the Rams for a long time. I do too, but I think there's questions like he's gotten to the point He's just got to truly adapt. Yeah, but there just know? might be some learning on the job as a head coach for him that Kyle already has in his back pocket. Yeah, and it, it might. It wouldn't totally shock me if he had a six and ten year, you know, because just some of the stuff's out of his control as a roster. He's still working through them some things. The other thing as a play caller slash head coach, you are really really dependent on your defensive coordinator. Like, when Andy was humming, he's had Jim Johnson. And then when Andy hummed again last year, they won the Super Bowl, Spags it all kind of clicked for their defense. Like, you do need your defense. And that's what, what did Kyle have last year? Well, his defense was good. The majority of the season. Great. And then in playoff games. It was great. Great in playoff games. Yeah. They, they destroyed the Vikings. They fucking punked Rodgers. And really, they were kicking what's-his-name's ass to what, the last eight minutes? I mean, they'd pick them off twice. You'd go, God, they're... Everyone on Twitter was like, is this Patrick Mahomes? <laughs> right? So it, when your defense is good and you're a great offensive play caller, and this is where I go back to McVay, McVay's first, the year they made the Super Bowl, I mean, Wade Phillips had them humming. Yeah, yeah. No, I, now, I, there, but there, there are going to be years probably when their defense is just average, and as long as their offense is elite, they'll be a playoff team. But that's part I, of what, I, I, think I think it think is become it. Is it it is incumbent though on Kyle to maintain this status? Like you got to just start rattling off playoff bursts. You can't make the playoffs once in five years. Well, we yeah. can't talk about you like a great play. Goal. Sure, that's that's where my point. Sure, is. but like, but I guess year, I guess as I four. as I view them, like you know, I don't think I, I think last year you it's almost like these old contracts that coaches used to get in college, where it was like always a rolling five year contract, like extent contracts that just extend. Uh, every year, just add a tack, tack on a year. I think the year they had last year kind of eliminates the first couple of years. That, I, I don't think the first couple of years Kyle had in San Francisco are really part of how I totally, I totally agree. But where where they do come back into play, if next year you go like eight and eight, and it's like God, you only made you, you start taking a step back. And you go, they made the playoffs once in four years. Because once you get the train yeah, on I mean, the track, you would that's then definitely it's time how you to, would. View it if you looked at the first two. I, I, yeah, I mean, I agree with you mostly. I just don't think those first two years are coming back until we're three, four, five years out, and he still hasn't been back to the. Because playoffs. I think you, like me, just expect them to be a pretty consistent playoff team for years to come. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's what good teams. And this is back to like good coaches. They usually just Sean Payton and Andy Reid just fucking win all the time. Right, right. Larry just, Coker doesn't get to just throw his ring on the table and be like one of the greats. Yeah, and I, exactly. And and I don't think we view Kyle like that at all, but this always gets back to my point on, I think last year was a good example for like Sean Payton and even Andy. Remember there was a game, Mahomes' knee went the other way, and there was a there was a game where Drew Brees' thumb broke, and it's like, 
are the Chiefs in some trouble? Are the fucking uh, Saints in some trouble? Nope. Because elite coaches just find a way. And that's where I think you actually could be viewed as a positive on Sean McVay. Like, you know, if his worst year was 9-7 so far, it's pretty impressive. Well, see, that's and that's one thing that you don't really know until you zoom out a few years, but I've always believed that. Like, your high highs, and this is, I think you're probably, you're saying this too, it's like, your high highs are what gets you recognition, but what really define you over an extended period of time. Like, what stat did everybody talk about with Don Shula when he died? wasn't how many rings he had. It was, did you know that he only had two losing seasons? And by the way, they were like six-win seasons. They weren't two or three-win seasons. <laughs> never took a year off. Never got fired. I don't know. It was a monster. Incredible. Uh, all right. The, uh, the number one pick, John. PFF tweeted this. The team's most likely to have the number one pick in 2021. The Chargers, the Jags, the Giants, the Bengals, the Dolphins. I think four of those five teams... Anybody with their eyes closed could have guessed. The team that's number one, though, probably got... It surprised me that the Chargers would be number one on this list. Does that surprise you? I, I wouldn't put them on this list. I, definitely, number one is pretty jolting because they clearly have the most talented roster of the group. Yeah. They have a head coach in Anthony Lynn that his first year, I think they went 9-7. and seven. The second year, they went 12-4 and four and won a playoff game. And last year was just a a debacle. Rivers was awful. They missed Derwin James most of the season. Their offensive line was injured. I, I just don't see the parallels of them and these other four teams, guy. They have way t- they have way more talent at high end positions. Now the one red flag is what's their quarterback situation. Is Tyrod Taylor is he starting sixteen games? Which might be the case. I'd say, well, when last time Tyrod Taylor was just on a solid team, they did go nine and seven with the Bills. If you told me Tyrod Taylor was the quarterback of the Chargers, I still see their low end of like seven yeah. wins. And he went eight you know, and six I, and he was eight and six as a starter in that nine and seven year. So even if I told you Herbert was their quarterback, I still think they win a bunch of games. Yeah, I um and, and then you consider their division. Their division is one in which you'll probably they'll probably you can probably guarantee them three or four losses in their division, but you can also guarantee them three wins in their division, right? Maybe How could four you put them strong, above the Jaguars? I, I, I couldn't. The Jags are trying. The J- the Jags. Did you see they signed Mike Glennon? Yeah, last I did week? see that. Yeah. So their quarterback room is Gardner Minshew and Mike Glennon and Jake. With Lugan. the Giants, it's it's uh, Daniel Jones. I don't even know who the other guy. With the Bengals, it's Joe Burrow, and they cut Dalton. And with the Dolphins, it's Fitzpatrick. So Ryan, Tua so Ryan Finley is the is the Giants guy. No, no, no. Is the other Bengals quarterback? Remember when they started him last year over Dalton? Oh, yeah. So, I now, I I got no issue with the four teams. I, I just don't see the Chargers there. I don't see the Chargers. I actually think the Chargers, if you had to say, put $100, would you put it more likely they're in the playoffs or drafting in the top five? I wouldn't even flinch. I'd put them in the playoffs, wouldn't you? Yeah, with the extra playoffs. I'm not even spot. talking the number one pick. I'm just talking top five. I mean, they were almost in the top five this year on a year that you wouldn't have picked them to be almost in the top five coming into the season. Wouldn't you agree right? that if you looked at the top 10 drafting teams this year, they were the one that was like, yeah, they'd be the most likely to kind of bounce right back, right? Or be, you know, win seven, eight games yeah, but and be in the team. I guess my, my one issue, yes, but the issue with them is I felt that I, 
I but feel like they won all, a lot of they games. They always have stuff going wrong. It feels like. But they, but they but they even when they have weird stuff going on, they win seven. That's why I think. They're well, I agree with you. I don't put them the on this list. Yeah, I, I. To me, the Giants. I have. I talked to him for a split second. Introduced myself. Everyone was telling me like this guy's a pretty high level guy. I watched a lot of his press conference. He's an impressive individual, Joe, Joe Judge. Judge. But to think that Joe Judge, his first year in a pandemic can win more than five games with a second-year quarterback and a lot of moving parts would be pretty extreme. The Bengals, pandemic coach that we're not sure is any good and a rookie quarterback seems extreme. And the Dolphins, who fucking knows? Now, I'd say the Dolphins, a little like the Chargers. If you told me, you know, they won six, I could believe you, six or seven. Because I did read someone say, and I would, I actually would push back on this, that the Jets were not as good as their record. They went 7-9. and nine, And my pushback would be like, well, they probably won some games down the stretch where just teams are over it and stuff, and I'd agree. I did see some of their high end, like when they were playing the Raiders and they had to play for something. Like, their quarterback has a chance to be talented. Their quarterback missed several games with mononucleosis, and they played a guy who we've made a lot of fun of that the head coach actively didn't, like, give the game plan to. Like, they... Remember there was that Thursday night, or was it a Monday night game? And it was like, this is crazy. Yeah, I yeah, think it was. Yeah, where Luke Falk had not gotten first-team reps in practice, even though Sam Donald was not active for the game. So I would say their early part of the schedule, where they started rattling off L's after Darnold went down, if Darnold's there, maybe they would have been a normal 7-9 and nine team, and you would have felt like more ambitious about them. But I don't view them as like some hollow 7-9 and nine record. Because you have to factor in Darnold getting mono and them starting quarterbacks that even they kind of internally mocked, right? Because yeah. I actually earned a little respect when the Raiders were like, we're going back to the Jets. We're gonna, and they just housed them. That was, the shit. I saw someone yesterday, maybe it was like Tafer and some of those guys, they were all picking the Jets game for like the Raiders doing the win-loss thing. They're like, uh, at the Jets, win. I was like, guys... We just witnessed them go to New York and Derek, and I think the game this year for the Raiders is week 13. Like, under no circumstances can I pick the Raiders to go on the road in New York and get a win in fucking early December. None. Now, I'm not saying they won't, but I would not. If Isn't I that game at home, WL though, this year? Game? Isn't that game at home for the Raiders? I wrote at Jets. Was I wrong? So, if the I'm game is at home, then... I will change my tune a little. <laughs> uh, that game is feels right. like it is. It is at the Jets. What di- what's the date? Week thirteen is at twelve six. If you were playing the win loss game, Sorry, this is I just was, more of a. Who was I looking? I was looking at the wrong schedule over here. I know the Seattle. You know how the Niners, their week two and three are Jets Giants or Giants Jets or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Jets Giants. Seattle's is actually the opposite. In the sense of they go Giants Jets, but they're both at home at the end of the year. It's kind of weird. In, it's in Seattle, you're saying. In Seattle, those two teams back to back. How about the Patriots have uh, on the road Rams Chargers back to back? Where do you think they'll stay? Bill will probably take them to the Army base or something. Yeah, <laughs> San Diego. The San Diego. Where are you staying? Uh, Camp training. Pendleton. What's the yeah? yeah what's where, the Marine you, Training Center in San Diego? Where, where, what did you guys do on your off day? Oh, we uh, we, we, we ran the beaches with the seals. <laughs> 
I uh, I actually the more we look the more I look at the Chargers schedule I not only do I think they're not going to be top five I, I think they're they're going to win at least seven or eight games this year yeah guy I just at least I don't I don't floor know to me feels like the seven their floor I I don't agree with that at all so who do you put one the Jags the Giants the Bengals the Dolphins if you said Middlecoff's most likely to have the number one pick it would be between the three teams the Bengals Giants and uh, Jags and the Jags I, I would lean the Jags. I do think whenever it's almost like gambling, when everyone's betting on one team, that team usually loses, and that's the reason casinos, beside the pandemic, make so much money. Everyone, and I mean everyone, oh Jags, they're gonna get, they're gonna, they're tanking. It's, I know. Well, would it shock you if you look up and the Jags are drafting like sixth? Well, what if it just turns out that you know what the good stuff Gardner Minshew did last year translates this year to more wins for them. That because I like, think oh. I if you just ask me in a bubble who's going to be terrible I'd say them but then like you said I I kind of get scared off when everybody starts picking them. Let awful. me push let me push back there. Let's say Minshew was just like oh he's like Case Keenum you can win some games. Yeah. Well they got C.J. Henderson so boom they got a good corner they lost Ramsey they have Josh Allen who was really good last year all of a sudden they add the dude from LSU they trade Yannick well they still got two sweet pass rushers what if they're just like kind of feisty Leonard Fournette in a contract year plays hard. I could see them going like six and ten. All right, uh, the last dance episodes uh, seven and eight. We're coming down the home stretch. One week left. We finally got to the uh, the fight that we've all heard about, the Jordan Kerr fight. I love that in the uh, in the episode, Jordan punch Steve Kerr punches Jordan in the chest. Jordan punches Steve in the eye. Phil Jackson kicks him out of practice. Jordan feels extreme remorse, has to call, doesn't have Steve's number. Obviously, why would he? <laughs> has to call like the team facility to get Steve's number because they don't just send out like a Excel spreadsheet call list. You don't just get Mike's number like that. Mike has to call you. So he calls Steve. And at the end, it's like, man. Steve earned my respect after I punched him in the eye. Michael had a pretty good point, though. He comes back. Imagine what anyone listening, whatever you do. If you, Michael was technically an employee, but he basically, I'd view Michael as the guy that built the company, right? You built the company. You go on a hiatus and you come back. And the company's still strong, but it's no longer like, the the industry leader but everyone in the company and there's still some holdovers and they can act like champions but i do think michael brought up the point he's like fucking longley and kerr and burrell some of these guys like i didn't know kind of we're like oh we're on the bulls champions and i think he kind of viewed these guys and especially probably steve because he was the smallest little white guy what the fuck stolen stolen valor john stolen valor he he won three rings and you know what he realized and i would imagine they've They've always felt like they've had a really good relationship. And even Steve's like, we became really tight. I mean, Michael believed in him several years later. It's like, you got to then re-earn his, like Scotty didn't have to re-earn the respect, right? For whatever reason, Michael just liked Ron Harper. Never felt like they fucking. They gambled. They, just, they gambled together. We're kind of weird by, like, he hated Tony, but maybe Scotty when he showed up, was like, actually, Kuko's not bad. You'll like him. Yeah. And so he just left him alone. Uh, Bill Winnington, he liked, but for whatever reason, he went after Steve, and Michael said, uh, went after the smallest little guy, which Steve's the smallest guy on the team. But 
I I think this speaks to why Steve, who kind of gets made fun of in the sense of like anyone could have won this. That's not necessarily true. The last several years with the Warriors, he's almost too nice. Well, he actually consistently kind of snaps. Uh, and someone tweeted out one of the ESPN guys of Steve's highlights from college at Arizona. He was really fucking good in college, like really, really good. And it's pretty remarkable when you just take a step back. You're like, how did this guy make a 13, 14-year career? Now, I would imagine if he was sitting here with us, like Steve, if for whatever reason good teams wouldn't have wanted to sign you and like just shitty teams, he benefited from being on good teams because you've always said this, bad teams don't have role players, right? Yep. And he has to be on a good like he would just get cut from bad teams because you would never his upside. See, I don't limited. know. I think he would just be the starting point. He might just be the starting point guard on a lesser team like B.J. Armstrong but, on the Hornets. Yeah, but to me, B.J. Armstrong was dramatically. He was, but I'm just saying, like, there's enough places in the league for guys that can handle and shoot and pass at that time. But how? But how? Guard. But how long would he be able? Like, he would kind of get cut every year, so you'd bounce for a couple. Yeah, bad teams. no, you might be right. It's. Uh, but I'm just saying, like, I don't think he would. Like, he was on the Cavs prior to that, right? He was on the Elo Cavs, I think. Um, he was on the Magic. Yeah, I mean, he. he I mean, clearly, I mean, he's a 12, 13 year NBA. His value career. is more, is is greater to a good team. Yeah, absolutely. And when the good players, like, by I guess by the time Duncan gets him right, he was known as a bull. He had everyone's respect. But at that time, Michael didn't know who the fuck he was. Didn't give a shit who the fuck he was. And, you know, in fairness, Steve wasn't scared. I, I think that's one thing that he's always got a lot of credit for. It was like, that's the one guy that didn't back down. And they'd all tell you, Horace would say, like, yeah, he didn't back. You got to kind of sho- get in a shoving match with him the first week or he's going to fucking le- never leave you alone. And even Mike was kind of making fun of Scott Burrell. He was like, you know, he would never do anything. Yeah. Kind of essentially in a roundabout way going, I like the guy. But, but I knew God, I couldn't kind of really trust him in a big moment. No. Yeah. I, I think, um, and the reason, the, part of the deal, to your point on on Steve not, you know, having a harder time if he was not on good teams, uh, is that shitty teams lose games by 18 points. They're not in games consistently where one possession matters. The players who just do the little things but aren't the ones that carry you are more variable to the teams where the little things make a difference. So that's kind of that theory. But, um I mean, Steve played for Lute Olsen, who was a hard ass at Arizona. Like, they had won at a really high level at Arizona, right? So, I mean, clearly he could be coached. And obviously Phil trusted but, but him. I, degree, I think but I think the Bulls the Bulls value that. I just don't think Michael probably was that cognizant of all that type of stuff, right? I'm not saying he I didn't think know, but Michael like, it, didn't trust. Like, if Michael were a head coach, he'd be like Belichick with a very small staff. Where it's, I'm just going to do everything myself. Yeah. I, and he wasn't going to trust somebody else on the word. If Phil told him, oh, yeah, you can trust Steve. That's not – that wasn't going to be good enough for Mike. Like, Mike had to test you, right? Because if you think about it and in the – It's in a the, shitty his, pa- uh, test to pass, but Steve passed the hardest test he could have gotten. Well, I know. Think about, like, the first three years. He kind of just goes to war with the same six or seven guys and Phil. Right. Like, it's, it's not – you're right. They don't have some rotational cast of characters. Like, it was pretty consistent – and even when you look at the last dance on the 96, 97, 98 teams, it's kind of the same cast of characters, right? Michael, Scotty, Tony, Steve, uh, fucking the two white centers, Phil. <laughs> There's not much. You know, they, they were always siphoning through the 6th, 7th, and 8th guys. No, because Michael wasn't into that. It's like, I, no, I don't want a new 7th man every year. And I think you see some parallels that with the Warriors. Like, 
they really valued Iguodala and Livingston. You need to have consistency so when you get to the Western Conference Finals, Eastern Conference Finals, and the Finals, your best fucking player, the Warriors, by the time they got Durant, it probably mattered a little less. But definitely those first couple years, the continuity was like, these guys just can trust each other at a super high level. And when you just go seven or eight guys deep, you, you, Michael's crazier than like Steph, but he's got to trust. Honestly, Kobe, you understand him a lot more watching this documentary. Yeah. He just copied him. He wanted to be like him. Why? It makes complete sense why he could never look Smush Parker in the face or toward the latter ends. Like he wanted to kill the swaggy piece. Like, right. I, what? And I honestly, I used to hate on Kobe for that, but I respect him more now. Like, I, I can't believe I'm doing this, <laughs> you know? Because Michael wouldn't have been able to do that either. Michael would have been worse. Michael would have quit. And it, you wouldn't even have blamed him for quitting. Or you just would have fought everyone or got him all traded or something. It would not have gone well. Yeah, or maybe in, in the league in those days, you you didn't end up. Just Maybe there were just less swaggy peas and smush parkers around. Yeah, probably a little less, bit. Everybody was making less money, less player power that but, sort of but thing, don't but. you think there always has been in basketball probably more than even the other sports like the difference between like swaggy p and like a legit starter on a good team like talent wise probably if you just saw him in a gym one-on-one just moving around shooting like just swaggy p by himself like not talking just being quiet putting him through like a legit workout if me and you were just standing there and didn't know swaggy p from scotty pippen We'd be like, Jesus Christ, this guy's talented, right? Just moving, laying balls up, shooting. Yeah, that's that's but that's the that's the risk but of the I, draft, right? That's the risk of relying on players you don't know. But I think in basketball, you get guys that get into the league. Like to to make it to the NBA, it's easier to make it, it's hard to make it to any professional league. Like the hardest thing possible in any sport, right? Obviously. It is easier to make it to the NFL as just like a rotational center that can bounce around a practice squad, then to me it is to ever get a sniff in the NBA. The numbers are so small. The athletic minimums are so fucking high. The jobs turn and over less. The jobs turn over less. And then even like, well, you don't need to be athletic for a center. Well, how many seven-foot humans have you ever met? Because yeah. the only ones I've ever come across, I'd say 90% of the seven-footers I've ever met played professional basketball. <laughs> yeah. You could argue it'd be higher than that. Yeah. I think the documentary's been pretty kind to Phil, too. It makes him look really smart. It does. It does. It turns out, so did you hear, have you heard the story about, I, I watched a thing, the uh, director of the documentary, I saw a clip of him with Jalen Rose, Jacoby and Jalen and Jacoby, and he was saying that they had, they had an arrangement to meet with Phil, they had to fly to Montana, um, but no one like on the crew from ESPN had actually ever spoken with Phil. It was like through a third party that they arranged it. They stake out Phil's house for like, they get there early. They can't, you're saying, you're saying to record him for the documentary. Yeah. They go up to the door. They knock no answer. Like a couple days before, like, let's say they're supposed to talk to him on a Tuesday. They walk up to the door on a Monday, no answer. They come back Tuesday. There's a car in the driveway. They knock the guy answers, but they have the wrong house. The guy's like, oh, Phil is actually back. You got to go through the like trees on the side. So they go to Phil's house. They knock and Phil doesn't. Phil's like, you're what? What are you doing here? You're who? For what? And kind of close. It's like, hey, you know, I'm good. And like closes the door on him. Like Phil wasn't quite aware of who was coming to do what. And so then 
I guess Phil's daughter maybe used to work at NBA Entertainment or something, so they knock on the door again. He's FaceTiming his daughter, and his daughter like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She kind of knows the story and tells him. So they go, they set up in the backyard, but Phil is kind of, as they're setting up, Phil is quizzing them, like trying to figure out, like, is this a real documentary or just some bullshit that, you know, like one of the million things that somebody's putting together. And he's asking the guy, like, how much have you read? Like, what do you, what book, like specifically, what books have you read to prepare for this? And then once they kind of convinced him, Phil just sat there for six. All of the Phil stuff is all, you see he's wearing the same shirt. It's like six straight hours of Phil. Phil just sat there for six hours, answered every question. Whereas Michael's is so, like several different interviews. So once the guy convinced Phil, this is not bullshit. Michael's all in on yeah, this. This yeah. is going to paint everyone. I'm in a prepared. Like I, I've read ten thousand pages and I've read all these books and like this is not going to be just like some half-ass doc. Phil was like, okay, and then Phil didn't get up. Like Phil just sat there for six hours and did the whole thing. But it's not like Phil had prepped. Like somebody, like they would tell Michael ahead of time what topics they're going to talk about today, just so he could kind of think about. But yeah. Phil was just. I don't know what Phil was doing. Like, what did Phil have on the agenda? Hi, that day? I'm Piote. Was yeah. he supposed to go fishing or what? Of all so. the documentary sports you've consumed in your life, would you put this one up near the top, if not at the top? Yes. Yeah. Just when I you mean, fa- when you factor in the fame of the guys, how part of the, you grew up in it, you kind of know all the stories, but it always adds stuff to. But the there's stories. some stuff I don't know about the stuff I know. Yeah, and then just how, I mean, there is an element of how raw and real some guys that aren't that always open. Like, even Phil, you know, he just, you know, I drew up the play for, you just like, damn. And he, even Scotty would go, yeah. He said he said on Sunday, he was like, it was weird. He's like, yeah, you know, I should have handled it better, but I don't regret it, and I would have done it again. I know, I turned to Alyssa, I'm like, did he just say, did he say he would or he wouldn't do it again? He wouldn't change it. She's like, I think he said he wouldn't change it. In fairness to Scotty, once Tony hits the game-winning fucking shot in an Eastern Conference Championship with 1.8, all they were asking Scotty to do was throw the ball Just in. Just be a right? decoy, he, yeah. So Not decoy. He's a good passer. I wouldn't have changed anything because he hit the shot, and it wouldn't have matter who threw the ball in. Is that what oh, he means? Maybe. Or like I would have just maybe. I would have just held my ground and not gone in. I, the one thing we didn't – I really wanted to see the footage of Scotty's reaction. Like, what, did he celebrate too, or did he just walk off with his head – with his towel around his head or something? Yeah, that was a great it, to, dynamic. To me, what what really adds to the documentary is they really don't swear that much, but they swear enough to make it feel like, God, this is pretty real. Yeah. Because when Steve, Steve has had some F-words, he's like, uh, he's like, Scotty, you know, looks at Bill Cartwright like, I ain't going in. And Phil's like, what? And then Steve's like, yeah, then Phil Jackson's like, fuck it. Pete Myers, get in. <laughs> you know? And it was like, damn. Because you... You obviously don't have that much time, right? Because the timeout's going, Phil's, the lot's going on. You're with your coaches. You're drawing up the play. You draw the play. You kind of walk away. Scotty's in his feelings. I don't, Phil probably didn't know. Then all of a sudden, like, Phil, he ain't coming in. And Phil's like, what? You, 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 there's a chance that as they were going to the court, right. someone goes, Phil, Scotty ain't going in. So you, it's not like, I, can you call another? T- what are you going to do? You, Pete, throw the fucking ball in. Hopefully he was listening, right? <clears throat> Yeah. Remember, we went to the uh, 2012. You remember did you, did you know Tony hit the shot? I, I thought yes. he was going to miss. No, I know he hit the you, shot. I, I didn't know he hit the shot. I mean, I guess I did. I probably read it. But I, when he hit, I was like, damn, he hit the shot. <laughs> it was a sweet shot. And Tony's like, <laughs> I, Tony's like, I hit a bunch of buzzer beaters. And it's like, boom, boom, boom from that year. Wouldn't you say three buzzer beaters in 82 games? A lot. It is a lot. Yeah. But and then four plus the postseason. 
I wanted to push back a little bit. The one he hit in the postseason was just like a legit fadeaway shot. He had one that was like 35 feet fading away. Yeah. I mean, a little lucky, yeah. you know. Yeah. He had a couple like did one bank in. You hit a couple prayers. Did one of them bank? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought two of the three of them in the regular season were a little like would have been if you were a fan of that team, you would have expected your team to lose on the couch, right? Yeah. Yeah, when you saw the shot they got. We saw Pete yeah. Myers coaching the uh, Warriors Summer League team in 2012 in Capri Pants. Remember that? I, uh, yeah, we, we did. Mark Jackson Mark was there, guy. but he wasn't coaching. When I went to watch Steph in the Ellie May, the, uh, the Corn Ferry tournament the that he tournament, played in, yeah. Pete Myers was with his wife walking with him. So I, 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 we had a beer together because I was kind of walking with, uh, I ran into Chris Heron. Remember the former, remember. obviously, Fresno State yeah. Bulldog, Boston, Gary Tarkanian guy. Because books. I introduced myself to Steph's Under Armour guy, and he must be a Boston guy. He's tight with Chris Heron. So, of course, I go up to Chris Heron and start fucking dropping Bulldog references, and we just start BSing. And then Pete Meyer, they all these basketball guys kind of know each other. Yeah. And so I just I just kind of palled along. I was <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I'm just going to hang out with these guys. <laughs> Marcus Thompson was there following around too, right? Well, he was like inside the ropes, oh, okay. fucking hanging out with Steph. With the caddy. Yeah. So you, I could only buddy-buddy with him so long. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not really getting anywhere. I might as well just have a good time. Yeah. My, I'll, I'll tell you this. Probably this is my last thought on these two episodes, at least for this podcast. I think my one of my favorite parts, I, I don't even know why of this documentary came in the last two episodes. The last episode where Jordan is in the locker room um, smoking a cigar before games, smoking a cigar, and he's got that before, was that the, before the game? And he's got the bat. It looks like it, or maybe it's after a practice, before a practice. But he's got the baseball bat, and he's like practicing his swing. This is this is the last year before he leaves to go play baseball, and he's like practicing his swing. He's got the Rawlings bat, and he's got the cigar, and he's smoking it, or it's sitting in a. He's got in like a Gatorade cup on the bench uh-huh. next to him in the locker. And there's like some slow jams playing, and he's just like talking and practicing and swing. I don't know. I loved that scene. That scene was so yeah. I thought that I thought that was '96 or '95 when he came back, and he was still had baseball in his. Oh, mind. is that what it was? That's what I thought. Because okay. would he have had a bat in his locker room pre baseball? Well, he told the he told the reporter during the dream team, "This is I'm going to play baseball after this." But maybe it wouldn't have been because I my thought was they're in the finals against the Sonics. Or maybe the magic year or whatever. He had a bat with him because it kind of looked cool in the backdrop or whatever. And sometimes you get in his mind probably thinking like what Terry or those guys were thinking, like the inside pitch. You know how to like move your hands. Yeah. Like, just, he's just maybe just loosening his wrist. Or, I don't know. Francona being his manager in Birmingham is pretty cool too. Pretty sweet. Yeah. Did he? I loved it when the one dude on the, like you could tell the pitching coach, he's like, God, Jordan's like 13-game hitting streak. And you realize... Because at first, when he went straight to double A, not that I was thinking at the time, but if you just said, you know what's kind of crazy? Michael Jordan went straight to double A. And you'd be like, yeah, it's, that's a publicity stunt. Because even if you watch like the T-Bows, you got to start low. And then Reinsdorf kind of had a good point. He's like, it was going to be such a zoo. We couldn't have put it at like the rookie, but it wouldn't have, it would have been too much. So we just put him right there. But then it's, he fucking starts. Like, it's not one thing to put him there. It's like, yeah, put Michael in left field. Right. You know, it's like, and that's where I think Terry was like, what are we doing, I'm sure. And then probably a week in, they are like, we can't get rid of this guy. And then you can tell the baseball guys who would like can do baseball 24-7, 365, the managers, when Michael's like, hey, I'll hit at 7 a.m. When do you want to hit? And the guy's like, 7 a.m. He's like, see you there. 
They probably look because most baseball guys are like, can we hit it like nine? You know, nine. They want to hit just two. He was just a dream, wasn't he? He's like, you want to hit again after the game? He just wants to fucking hit. Yeah. How many guys? It's probably way different now because a lot of guys in like the seventies and eighties that went in the NBA until they hit a big growth spurt probably played some levels of baseball growing up where. A large percentage of NBA players now probably never played baseball, like you know, past like little league. But it's pretty remarkable that he could even hit a baseball. In That's why those guys right. are like he's hitting two, he's hitting over two hundred. Even I know we don't talk about RBIs anymore, but when Francona says he had fifty RBIs, I was waiting true. for the number guys to shit on that. Well, just because he had guys on second and third. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, did Do you believe that 1,500 ABs he could have made his way to the big leagues? Or feels like a pretty know. big jump he would have had to keep making. Yeah, I don't know. I Two, mean, 202 double A. Now it's only a year. He did have a 289 on base. He stole 30 bags. One thing they didn't really hit in the dock, and maybe they just don't know the answer. What if the MLB strike never would have happened? I know. That's the part I was waiting for, too. Does, you're saying, does Jordan turn back Come to back. basketball or not? Because he kind of had nothing to do, right? Yeah. Montana's like, God, you might cross the picket line, bro. I feel like BJ's like, oh, I saw Montana at the farmer's market on Sunday. Walking with a bag of, like, veggies out of his shoulder. Seriously? Yeah. Mask on? Uh, he was putting it on, yeah. Hat on? No hat. Joe's just, Joe's just out there, man, for people to no, say I hi to. Just, hi, Joe. No one fucks around, and you know, people leave him alone. Uh, speaking of uh, of baseball, John, the uh, as we're recording this on Monday, the owners have approved a uh, proposal for 2020. They're going to give it to the players. Basically, what people have written is, you know, baseball is not a revenue share sport in terms of like like basketball or football is. And so the owners are saying to the players, we don't want what they agreed to a couple of months ago is we'll just give you whenever we start back up, we'll just prorate your your salary. So if we play eighty one games, you'll get half a salary. But now the oh, owners so par- are saying, part of having a salary cap is factoring in revenue, right? Right. That makes sense. I didn't see that part. Yeah. So that makes sense. So, but now the owners are saying, but if we got to start, we want to start July fourth, which is, but if we do this, we're probably not going to have fans. I'm there. And if we don't have fans and 40, uh, Evan Drellich from The Athletic wrote that about 40 to 50% of baseball's income is the ticket sales, is the gate. Yeah. And probably, my guess is that also factors in concessions and stuff like that. Yeah, team store, parking, the whole deal. But the, but the, but the owners are saying, but if we're not getting all that, then pro, playing, paying you a prorated amount is, we can't do that. And the players are like, bullshit, you're still going to make money. And the owners are like, no, we're not. And uh, and so they want to do the they want to do a percentage, but I don't know, man. I to me that's that's the the right thing to do would be a revenue split. I I think it's completely fair, and I think basketball is going through this right now too, where they go, listen, we're not this these are not normal times for anybody. This is fucking us all. So we have to meet in the middle. Now, the one problem, I, I, I'm pro the owners in the sense of the, the league and the players' union should be open-minded to a revenue split. A lot of humans and a lot of different businesses do that. And they are somewhat fat and happy from doing it the other way, right? Because they get right now they get guaranteed contracts. 
like Bright. Why would Bryce Harper want to do a revenue split and not a prorated version or Buster Posey or any of these, any guys on a contract over like $5 million a year, right? They, they would want a prorated version of it. Right. For not, be, not just because of the amount, but also because it's a guarantee. You know how much money you got coming to you in two months. You have an exact number. And that's where I think basketball and baseball players are a part of the greatest partnership in the history of the world. Once you sign a contract, you have zero liability. The building burns down, no issue. Pandemic happens, you still are in control. Like You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. But you have, when the, when the game starts, the owner takes all the liability, makes all the payments for travel when you go in the hotel. It's, it's incredible. And that's where I think the union's first reaction is always like, you're fucking us. And the only way I'd push back to be against the owners on this one is one thing that stood out is they've been against showing them their books. Right. Because they're adamant that they won't, they don't have to, and they won't make any money. And they, why don't they have to right now? Because every, they're paying a lot of money normally. Cause there's right? no revenue split. That's why they don't have to. So I, I do think there is a balance here of if you're the players, ideally you'd want to see the books, but I do think you could be talked down from like a union chief if he was thinking, just having a little common sense. Like it's pretty clear that they're going to get raked over the coals this year, right? Like you don't need to be a, a a sports, you know, economist to realize that this is going to hurt baseball. Their media deals are smaller for most of the part. They're they clearly get way less viewers on television than let's say football. And clearly, they sell. They have the most inventory for games. Like they're like the version of basketball on steroids. They have double the amount of games. Yeah, they are. And the they good, are. They are volume retailers, right? Well, and the they're good not teams, small the, batch art. The NFL is small batch artisan goods that sell to the highest bidder. This is this is uh, like H and M. This is just Target. They're just high volume, high volume, high volume, big time. And think about the good teams like the Red Sox, the Dodgers, when the Giants are just decent, the Cardinals. Think how many people. Think how much money they make on their park. Think how much money the Giants paid off their park on a thirty-year lease, and they pay it off in like 18, 16 years. It's yeah. it's been paid off. They built the thing in fucking ninety-nine. It's right. been paid off for the last five years. And I, I would imagine they weren't on a fifteen-year lease. Right, they just they were making so much fucking cash. We're like, well, just pay off the note, right? And I, I just wonder the baseball players. And I think the NBA players need to be very, very careful. It'll be very easily easy to get painted as really greedy when it's like you guys can come back, and the reason you're not coming back is because we want this. Yeah. And it's it's all going to be the the thing they want is money. The the question is is it worth it in the long term to the owners to set the precedent that they show the players exactly how much they make? Because the reason you wouldn't show somebody is you feel like you're actually making more than they know, and that even though you're paying them a lot of money in salary, they could be making more. Do you think um, it's fair to say that they're making a lot more than they know right now overall? Uh, just based on the fact that they don't want them to know how much they're making, that's what it makes me think. Yeah. But, Hard to tell. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I just. I know they're making money, but is there a chance? Like, if you actually knew how much San Francisco well, Giants make, they make more than the Cowboys. Like, <laughs> could I believe you? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I guess the other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like if I told you the Yankees, you think they make a lot? They make dramatically more than you know. Yeah. Well, one way they're going to try and make money back is expand the playoffs. 
they're going to add two teams in each league to the play. So it's going to be 14 teams in the postseason. Where, where I think the baseball has to be careful is like at the end of the day, the Yankees, the Giants, the Dodgers, the Cardinals, the big boys just have cash. That if they had to do the revenue split or they had to prorate, they could do it. Like the A's won't. Tampa Bay won't. I don't know enough about like the Twins. Well, the that's Indians. why they, like, they haven't they talked about revenue sharing this year too between the the teams. Yeah, well, I think I think all the leagues have. That's been a big thing, and like with the pandemic, if things go bad, we have to look at this year a little differently. And this is where I will not feel bad for either side. Like you and I in the media running our own deal with ads got changed. Like everyone has been impacted. Like you have to be able to adapt a little bit. You can't be fat and happy. And this is where I think the hard part is right now for the owners. Are like, listen, guys, we're this is not last year. This is we don't even this is unprecedented playing field slash our, the ten billion the number. Just cut that by forty percent. Boop. Cut it right off the bat. Just do the math in your head. Just say it out loud. We're not trying to fuck anybody here. We have no problem giving Bryce Harper three hundred million or Manny Machado or Posey or all these guys. We're paying all these guys. Have our checks ever bounced? Like we're not trying to fuck you. This is. These are crazy times. We, we, you guys have to meet us in the middle. And when you see some of these, the, some of the quotes from the basketball unions, chief, it made me want to puke. I haven't seen crazy anything from baseball yet, but just their initial pushback is no. Did you see? One thing's pretty fascinating is the Major League Baseball drafts usually forty rounds. Yeah. Well, the season didn't happen, right? So you don't have any information. The baseball draft's still going to happen. Instead of being forty rounds, it's five rounds. Right. Like, that's pretty nuts. Yeah. Think how many players in, like, six or seven years will be like, oh, yeah, I was an undrafted free agent, now I'm an all-star. Yeah. There's going to be countless. Right. Would you, do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, just based on the volume. Absolutely. Well, how many guys every year that are first-round picks from a four-year school, like Cal or North Carolina or whatever, a huge reason is a huge season. And you go, God, he finally clicked. Look how talented this guy is. Right. So the guy's draft eligible that last year he hit 280. Fuck, Kyler Murray was drafted nine off one season. Yeah, well, the other part of this is going to be there are guys that have great sophomore years and aren't as good as juniors, right? And it goes the other way. Like Spencer Torkelson from ASU, who had an incredible sophomore year, like a year that was going to be hard to duplicate. Probably the number one pick. Now, he might have been the number one pick anyway, but that's a guy, like he's a guy that benefits potentially. Didn't have Wouldn't to. you say he's like a lock top 10 pick right now? I'd Just say he's on. a lock top. I don't know the rest of the draft that well, but I think he's a lock like top three, top two pick. Well, here's an example also. Let's even say that he had a solid year. Didn't live up to the previous year, right? Just had a, just a good college season, but not one that you'd be like a top 10 lock. And he also got hurt, you know? You know, just something like God, and he ended up going twenty sixth instead of where he went to. Like that's a huge dramatic. Yeah, difference. it's probably just, you just don't have information. But but if you're a, if you're a draft eligible college player like him, you do have two years of college. To me, what's crazy is like, what if you're a high school player who you've you know, you're a great high school year. You might hit seven home runs as a senior. Well, as a sophomore, think, you think, hit one. Think how many JUCO guys get sophomore, drafted. You hit one. The high school. Think how many junior college guys get picked too? Yeah. Oh, the senior in high school, like a Madison Bumgarner that goes in the first round? Right, that's the guy that that needs off a junior season. At least the college draft eligible guy has two years of college baseball. Well, I I was thinking about if you were an area scout in baseball 
and your GM's like, who'd you put your nuts on the line for? You're like, well, fuck, I didn't see the guy. I mean, I kind of liked him last year, but I was writing up 700 other players. I, I'll be honest, I didn't really focus on him live that much. Yeah. Good luck putting your nuts on a table for a guy that didn't It's play. not like football where you can go, all right, you know what, everybody? Let's scramble. We'll go get all last year's tape and start watching all last year's film. Like, college baseball's come a long way. I mean, it's on TV, but still. Trying to get all the film for some guy who played third base last year as a sophomore, that's a lot harder to watch than football. I also th- – don't you agree, too, it's easier in baseball – or, excuse me, in basketball and football? Like, if I said Jamar Chase, the the wide receiver for LSU, sat out the season this year. He's a locked top 10 pick, and no one would even hesitate. Or Clowney, or whoever right. the top players are. Or Chase Young had done it this year. In baseball, it's like, well, you know, the Pac-12 kind of realized that Torkelson or whatever, you know, he, he actually has a major weak spot, and they started pitching that way, and this year he hit 100 points lower. I, I'm just saying, there's yeah. just so much. Baseball is just such That's a where weird I would say, though, that, that way. He, you do have, for draft-eligible college guys, you do have two years of college baseball. He's been starting if he's been starting since his freshman year. Yeah. Um, the other thing, just you, back to your point about there haven't been a lot of quotes from, like, players. I think one thing that'll happen, let's say June 1st rolls around and there's still not a deal because the players are resisting the revenue split. And then the owners start leaking. We actually have approval to start. We can start. We can open camps tomorrow, but the players are refusing to, to accept this deal that will bring baseball back. That's when it'll start getting a little ugly. And, and, and the public will not be on the player's side in that scenario. I completely agree. Now, the, the, I also, play, the players are on a slippery slope of they will be painted as greedy fast if they don't want to play and the owners are ready to play and they say this is more than a fair agreement and these guys are my the NBA claim they were being... My guaranteed contract. Yeah, you got Harper saying that. You got Machado saying that. You got the NBA saying they feel like prisoners in a bubble. It's like, guys... The, the, you, you guys trying to resonate with the common American? Now, I'll give baseball credit... I have not seen the outrageous quotes. Shocker, the NBA was on the forefront of the outrageous quotes. Well, but the NBA is also in the middle of their... Like, baseball's been able to push it back, push it back. I agree, but all it's going to take is, like, a prominent player in baseball making over $20 million just to say yeah. something that's like, oh, guys. Well, I, remember in, in 1999, Patrick Ewing, we, we make a lot of money, but we spend a lot of money, too. <laughs> it's truthful. Um, it is. I think baseball, if baseball ends up with an 81-game season, it has a chance to be one of the greatest Major League Baseball seasons since the Sosa-McGuire chase, which, by the way, I can't... Because every every game matters. I can't wait for that 30 for 30. Because every game matters more, and just because it's going to... They're they're probably going to have a DH all the time. They might have a DH all the time just because there's going to be so many more interleague games. Um or at least the percentage of interleague games is going to be high. I think it's going to be like 40 When you want to avoid pitchers getting hurt running. There's and just stuff a million like things. Pitchers are going to be like I, Kawakami wrote something about the A's, just how they've got a young staff that's really talented, but they all probably were going to be on innings restrictions this year because you got like two guys coming off Tommy John. Well, all of a sudden guys can pitch a full season because it's 81 games and yeah. the innings restrictions, they're – all this, your arms are fresher in the postseason. Your postseason where, where you bigger. were just going to make 15 starts anyway. Now 15 starts, you only need 12 it's, it's starts. The, yeah, that's the year. Yeah. So the, I just think there's the potential, if it happens, for it to be really awesome because baseball has felt 
as someone who loves baseball, we, we argue about it all the time. But you can't argue that baseball just, real or not, has this perception that it's just stale. And part of it is because it is. And I think having a different year that's compressed, that is just... It's just it's just going to be wild and different and unique. I I think it has the chance to be one of baseball's great seasons if they can pull it off. Well, it's like wait, you guys report to to camp July fifteenth and you play to fucking October. Like, why does this need to be so long? Can't you like look at the other sports? Like, you can generate revenue doing it. You're a little about bit February fifteenth. What did I say? July fifteenth. Yeah, I meant February fifteenth. And also, I mean, it's just sorry. It's I, crazy. Here's the other thing: it's, it's like okay, you're going to lose a bunch of revenues, but are your ratings much higher all of a sudden, you know, because you're going to, you might come back before football starts. So you might be the only thing on every night. Now we'll see what happens with the NBA, but maybe baseball's ratings. I think there's a real argument for the ratings that they go up this year, not cumulatively, but on a night to night basis. Well, you could have argued this and I don't know the exact restrictions with it all. Would they have been better off? And I get the masters. It has to do with the courses closed over the summer. But if you could have put the majors right when you came back, or like give a couple like back to back, like John Deere Classic and one other, and then boom, you're like saying like the, the Masters PGA Championship at Harding, yeah, like like boom, like July fifteenth, right, and then July twenty, and the U- July U.S. Open August twelfth or something. Yeah, it's like boom, boom. You understand that people are. I mean, we're just desperate. For, I, I I flipped it on the UFC the other day. I'm not even a big UFC guy. I was like, fuck. There's just something on that I at least can just take in for a little bit and look kind of different and you could hear the people getting hit and the sounds it was just like ah this is unique you 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 have open real estate lastly john things we watched extraction on netflix i love a good netflix only movie that 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 hits you know this one hit say it slams yeah people haven't watched it when did you realize that this hit because i think i was kind of late to it when did it come out I think it come out sometimes Netflix with a big movie like I think this is like one they financed that this would have been on a typical year non-pandemic if Netflix didn't finance it and Hollywood did it would be a big deal in the theaters or it, you know it would get promoted like a big deal I don't know if it would end up hitting I just saw it on Twitter a lot and I just I don't know much about when? this the what when did you start seeing a lot on Twitter probably within the last month okay I think it came out two weeks ago. So we're recording this on a Monday, not last Monday, but the previous like Friday. So like, a, like 12 days ago or whatever. It came out like on a Friday. You know, like they do, like the show comes out, mm-hmm. you know, like when they put a show out. They did this with this movie like a couple Fridays ago. And I think I was bored and I watched it. And I was like, God, this is a really good action movie. You know, it was just, I was kind of hooked. So I was really stoned also. I watched it, <laughs> I watched it Saturday Sober. I I had seen it. It was one of these things where I'd seen it on Netflix over the last week or two clicking through and noticed it, but didn't really think much of it. Have they added that like top popular in the U.S. little line? Have you seen that one? Like the popular yeah, movies? I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, there's like what you're watching. No, no, I know. I don't, recommend. I, I don't really pay close enough attention to realize what the different categories I'm scrolling through are. I just I'm, I do because sometimes I'll go to what's popular when I need something to watch because okay. I don't I I'm not, not I I don't watch something random usually I have not operated in Netflix kind of ecosystem w- with that much awareness but so you you, you will you just end up on something kind of random 
Like, did you assume that this was a Netflix-made movie or like a movie that yes. had come on Netflix? So I assume this was just some sh- Netflix movie that's or some movie that's been on Netflix for two years. When I would like click buy it, I didn't even think much of it. And then like Friday, I saw somebody tweet something about it, and then it clicked in my head like, no, this is something new that's cool. And so Saturday night, I was like, I'll I'll watch it, and I liked it. My question is. If this movie had come out, if this had been a movie in theaters, would anybody be talking about this movie? Or would people like it? Like, would I like this? I've been, would I have liked, if I went to theaters and saw this movie, which I don't think I would have been like, got my money's worth. But on Netflix, I loved it. I think this movie, and this is kind of the modern day of like a Schwarzenegger flick or a Stallone flick, like when we were growing up, those thrived in the theaters. Those days are done. Like we're the older person is just not gonna go see that, right? I think at 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 the rate in which people would see a movie to generate hundreds of millions of dollars in the box office, I still think there is a place. If you get a movie with the hype and the stardom of like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, got me there. But, right? but I guess what I'm saying is, would you put this movie on the level with those ones that you don't think any longer will get people going to the theaters? But Once Upon a Time were were blockbusters. Y- yeah, I would say this is. This would have crushed in in an era when you saw movies like this. Now, this character would have been Schwarzenegger, right? Or Stallone. This would have been their role. You just would have given it to them, and it would have been a big deal. People would have saw it. You know, what's the difference between this and, like, I'm just picking out random movies, you know, Commando, or, you know, just that would have been their role, where the new guys... I just think... I used to see that movie in the theater. I just don't even view the... Like, to me, the theater... It has to be like a Super Bowl level movie, like where I'm just like, this is I got, and that maybe happens once every other year. Where back in the day, people just went to the movie theater a lot. You still watch the same amount of shit. You just stream it. You just no, watch yeah, it. that part I get. I'm just not convinced that this movie is on the level with like Commando, but maybe it is. I don't. But I, but I, but I think if the if you just reverse it 25 30 years ago and put that guy i don't think this actor like is liam hensworth chris gonna, is he is, is he well, he oh he wasn't liam the guy dating this is uh, thor. i don't know much about chris hemsworth this is thor yeah. okay good looking big time you know yeah he, he's he's a popular figure with the youth but have do you think a lot of like 50 year olds unless their kids have told him have seen thor i think like, thor, have you seen I thor? Think it, yeah i've seen it. i think it's pretty guardians okay, all man, those movies are pretty yeah, I'm not that. Those movies don't. I'm not into that. Yeah. Uh, but you get this guy, the Thor guy. I'm in. Like I, I was gonna. But I'm also an action movie. Like I went and saw John Wick three in theaters. Now part of it was the day I did it. I was down at nine or prax or whatever. It was gonna take me three hours to get home. Like fuck it, I'll just go see John Wick yeah. three in the theaters. And I would say John Wick three and this have some parallels. But wouldn't you say Keanu Reeves? His resume is a lot longer than this guy. This guy, you could argue, is a huge star right now. Yeah. I thought the car, the scene where Hemsworth in this movie is is driving the Mercedes after the, the, the I don't know, spoiler alert. Uh, not really spoiler alert. Something happens, and there's a, there's a car chase scene. I thought it was one of the best car chase scenes I've ever well, seen. Have you seen the thing that went viral, how they shot it? The, the point of view from the back seat, I don't think I've seen a car chase scene from that point of view before. It's pretty awesome. Well, have you have you seen no. it was kind of going viral? I think that's how I found out about this movie. Like a month ago, 
they had a behind the scenes of the car chase scene in whatever city they were shooting this. And it's like a dude, you got multiple guys, camera guys, like put in like they're jumping like off a, uh, you know, uh, a bridge. Okay. Slash, you know, like a roller coaster. You know, they're strapped in. They got the camera like on their head. They're holding and they, they're going normal speed. It's insane. I'm like, what the fuck is this? And then I started looking on it, and then it was this Netflix movie that was coming that. out. Yeah, it was on Twitter. The thing that I love, and I love this about a movie, you hooked me, and Sicario did this, Sicario too. When you get a good guy slash bad guy, uh, Hemsworth, he's a good guy in this movie. Uh, Sicario, hard to tell the role that uh, what's-his-name plays. Kind of goes back and forth, dark and, and, and bad and good. When you're doing like... Uh, an extraction in this or a, you're saving a kid, but the kid might be the kid of a bad guy, but then you meet the kid and you go, I kind of like this. Yeah. Kid. You're like an emotionless mercenary. Yeah. There's like and the kid opens this, your heart. This kid. Yeah. And the emotionless mercenary meets the kid who in theory is branded as like, this guy's associated with the drug dealers. Right. But then you realize well, he didn't choose his dad. It's not his fault that the sperm came from Pablo Jr. over here. And the kid, you realize, God, this guy could be pretty friendly. And if you just put this guy in a normal environment, like any kid, he'd probably just grow up fine. And then you start really liking him. And then midway through the movie, you always get the call. Uh, mission, it's been a, the, the, uh, the cartel knows, or the authorities have found out our signal. Get rid of the kid and come back solo. We'll pick you up. In eight in oh eight hundred hours at the drop point, and then the guy always has that look of like thinks about it for a second and goes, "There's no way I'm putting a silencer through this kid's head." And it's like, "Can't do that, James. You know better." But I'll still meet you at the extraction point. But the kid's coming with me. And the guy goes, "Don't do that, Bill." And he goes, "I'm doing it." And then there's always a couple guys that they send to try to get the kid killed, and that kid and the guy usually end up killing that guy in some order. It, they all kind of set up with the same, uh, you know, might might change a little bit movie to movie, but they all have that moment, usually probably 45 to an hour in after they bonded a little. Yeah, yeah. And bonded, they haven't even said much, right? They've just No, there's not a lot of dialogue, <laughs> especially English. If we, if we extracted the dialogue that needs to be translated, not a lot of English, uh, which meant I could just turn the volume... At a good level, but yeah, I hate when the volume's at a great level for the explosions, but then you still have to turn it up for the dialogue. It bothers me. That I, happened a couple I completely times. Agree. One last. Do you quick... think that's a that's a, it's a sounding error? Like they don't I they don't put it up. I I don't know. Or just equipment. I don't know. Probably if you had a Bo- full surround sound, it'd probably be fine. Bothers me as well. Uh, last thought. This movie just made me think of this, which is an unrelated thought, but it gives me an opportunity to say. So the guy's name is Tyler Rake. That's the character's name. And it made me think, I always, naming characters always fascinates me. Like, the meetings where you come up with the characters' names is always fantastic. Like, if you go around the NFL right now, most quarterbacks are guys whose names you would make up if they were, right? Like, Sage Rosenfels is not a quarterback name, but Dak Prescott is. Russell Wilson is. Like, just the syllables are almost all the same. Tom Brady. Russell Wilson. Jimmy Garoppolo is kind of an outlier. Too many syllables. Point break. Johnny Utah. I think one of the worst names in the history of great show or movie names, I've been catching up on Succession recently. No 78-year-old man or whoever old Logan Roy is is named Logan. It, it is, 
every time I love that show, it is one of the most mismatched names to me in good show history. Logan, Roy. What would you what What would you name him? I don't know, but not Logan. I'd have to uh, spitball it. But Logan is not what people his age are named. It just feels mismatched to me. But maybe maybe you maybe most people think it's a match. It works. I don't know. Would you go with something a little more like uh, academic? Like Woodrow Roy. No, it's that's he's he's a little too much of a bull in a china shop for Woodrow. But Logan J- ain't J- it. A, J- a Jack? Jack Roy's a little too close to Jack Ryan. Uh but maybe Jack. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Just easy to what, what if his name was Richard, but he goes by Dick? Dick Roy? Yeah. <laughs> I we, we've talked about this before. This movie is a great example. I watched a little bit of this. Uh, Univision did this show on Pablo Escobar. You just had to watch it non-subtitles, Americans, but they're speaking in Spanish, so it doesn't quite add up. I just wonder in the history of actual firefights, mm. like the cartel shooting at each other, or in scenes like this, like mi- military extractions or gang violence, if you're just going to let out, let's say, minimum 100 shots in the in – the, that's the minimum. Let's say somewhere between 100 and 500 shots, like – Actual trigger pulls, bullets, rounds. How often, if you even if you don't quite see the target, you know the vicinity, and there's just a lot of people, let's say 100 plus shots, 10 plus people. So you got a lot of bodies. How often someone just gets astray? Even if it's just a graze of the arm, hits the toe, <laughs> I don't know. But how do these guys, with the amount of... When it's one on 30. And everyone's shooting in the same vicinity. How, how about this guy? Even when you're shooting at the guy, well, if you got a guy on the other side, how about you hit that guy? You know, how, how do more people not get hit? They don't I get just, hit at all, and then they can just do like a 360 pistol pull, bam, bam, two guys in the head from 40 uh, yards out. I know. W- would you imagine the ratio in real life with gangs and militaries to movie life is way off? I, I yes, I would. I would imagine that everyone who's ever served a military uh, tour of duty is watching these like. I've never seen anything close to this in my he, real One thing that always crosses my mind when you're in a firefight on the street and you're hiding behind cars, how often people's feet get hit. Because there's that little, I mean, you don't have, this isn't a wall. You do right. have an opening down there between the tires. It's a tough angle. I guess the bullet that goes below the car has to ricochet somewhere. Yeah. yeah, and you wouldn't be aiming at their feet. You're aiming at their head. So maybe you're not even aiming down there. I would always go try to take out some feet because then you might hit the ground and then boom, I'll take you out. Mm-hmm. Because I know this, you get a bullet to the feet that has fucking. Doesn't hurt. he do that in this movie on the bridge? Doesn't he go under the car for a couple shots? Yeah, it's always a key move. It's, it's my favorite. If I was an, ever been a Navy SEAL, that would be my patented yeah. like middle cop. He like where's middle cop? Ah, he's car. under the car. He's laying on his stomach somewhere, taking out toes. Because you can just take people out. Middle cop, aka toe hunter. What do they say? You know, you, you take out the base, take the house down. You take out the bottom of the tree. Take the, you take out the fucking foot. The guy's gonna come mm. down. That's why planter. Everyone's always shooting through the that's engine. Why planter you fascia like, takes out so many careers, you know? Or turf toe. I, I know. Think of what a Rick think Smith. of what a sprained ankle. Think of what is a, a, a grade three ankle sprain does. Imagine what a what a M sixteen would do to the big toe. All right, if you haven't watched Extraction, highly recommend. That's a two. That's a Siskel and Ebert uh, two thumbs up. On that yeah. note, adios. Peace.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.